What a blessing to hear how our dollars are going to work all around North America uh, through the North American Mission Board and our giving to Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, we are, uh, I think, our goal is 7,500, and we are uh, a little over 5,000 this week. We have two weeks left. Uh, through Easter Sunday, we'll be uh, having the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, so please uh, give to that. This morning, we are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through uh, six through nine, and we are going to be looking at pastoral priorities for God's good minister. As we come this morning, I want to begin by talking about to, uh, talking to you about interesting advertisements within our consumer culture. All of us see these interesting advertisements wherever we are and whatever we're doing. I walked into Lowe's a few years back just after buying a house, and I needed a handy dandy hand tool so that I could work on that house. Now it was amazing because as I walked down the aisle, the particular item that I was looking for just happened to have a big red sticker right across it, and it said, sell, $149. So, well, that is great. I am going to get a steal. I'm going to get a deal. And then I looked under it, and I looked, and I saw regular price, $150. Not quite a sell, was it? But it did catch my attention at the moment. The other day, driving down last, in fact, is uh, the end of last year, I was driving down. It was the first start of this campaign that I'm going to tell you about. And I'm driving down Royal and come to Spence. And right there on the corner by Applebee's is a guy slumped over in his chair, doing as little as possible, exerting as little effort as possible to hold up a sign that says, join Gold's Gym, 1499, no commitment required. No commitment required. That's the kind of gym we like. After all, it matches the attitude that one of my friends in college said he had. He said, any time that I feel like going and working out, I lay down for two hours until the feeling passes. (laughs) We turn on the TV and we watch and there's a man sitting in a chair. And he's got electrodes attached to his body all over. And as he is sitting there, there are people all around him who are working out, some lifting weights, some walking. And he's getting their the benefits of their efforts through the electrodes that are attached to his body. Indeed, we see all around us, there is a consumerism that drives us to believe that we can have no commitment required. Both in our physical lives and in our spiritual lives. We understand that, uh, it, the, that all of these advertisements are facades. They are shams. They are just pictures of panaceas that never fully, uh, f- never fulfill what they promise. You want a better body? Then you can't lack the commitment. You must eat right and you must exercise and work out. You want to play golf like Rory McElroy this week at Augusta National? Then you don't need shoes. You don't need balls. You don't need new clubs. You need to be diligent in devoting yourself to practicing consistently on a daily basis. You want to play basketball like LeBron James? You don't need a $140 pair of sneakers. You need to practice and play. You need to participate in the thing which you desire to do. 
Our culture says you can get something for nothing. You can excel without devotion. That you can succeed without diligence. But we know these are facades. These are panaceas. These are shams in the end. And yet our Christian consumerism within our culture says the exact same things. They tell us that if you will just read this book. If you'll just go to this conference. If you'll just watch this preacher. If you will just participate in this one spiritual experience. If you will just send your money to this ministry, you'll be fulfilled. And yet we know that is not true, don't we? We know that that's a sham. We know that that, those things are not true. What's our problem? Our problem is that we look for a quick, easy way to get where we can go only by disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We're shopping for an effortless way to get what the Bible clearly states comes only through hard work and through a great struggle with the flesh. There is no way to godliness except through spiritual discipline. More than any other quality, godliness through self-discipline will have the great uh, influence on whether you do well spiritually or not. More than any other discipline, godliness will have the greatest influence on whether you will do well spiritually or not. Increased conformity to the character of Christ Jesus our Lord is the key characteristic that will influence most whether we do well spiritually or not. Far too many preachers in the pulpit have ignored godliness. They have ignored spiritual discipline and holiness within the lives of their people. Indeed, we have ignored it. And we have at times taught discipline while we have had none practiced. Some say the pastor is merely a life coach and he is the one who stands up on Sunday morning and he gives helpful hints in the midst of an entertaining sermon. Indeed, they would say the pastor is basically in charge of having a sermonette for Christianettes once a week. Is that all you want? I just want a sermonette, just a nice little neat package, a little bit of God's word, but just make us feel good. Give us some helpful hints how we can change our lives. No, that is not what a pastor is. Indeed, in our culture, the pastor's success or failure is judged on the size of their church, the building programs that they have launched. Indeed, the popularity, their wit, their words, and their winsomeness. But these are not the pastoral priorities for measuring God's good ministers in the New Testament. John Owens, the Puritan writer, wrote this way. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees before God Almighty, that is what he is and no more. Let me tell you something. You may have a good spiritual play going on in the midst of your life. And you may act very well and very good at Sunday school and on Sunday morning in church and even be here on Sunday night or Wednesday night, you may make everybody around you think, well, that person looks like a good Christian. But let me tell you, in the same way that the pastor is no more than what he is on his knees before God Almighty, the Christian is no more 
no more in public than he is in private on his knees before God Almighty. The true measure of the man of God is defined in verses 6 through 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. And these are the standards by which every minister and every ministry is to be matched. In verses 6 through 8, we see the pastoral priorities for God's good minister is to be found in their direction, their devotion, and their diligence. We see here that indeed the direction, the devotion, and the diligence of God's minister is what tells you whether they are true and faithful to God Most High or not. Let us take our Bibles this morning and let us see the pastoral prior priorities for God's good minister from First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, it says, And pointing out these things to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with the worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Father, indeed this morning we come to you calling out and crying out. Father, asking that your hand would be great upon us. Lord, that in the midst of this time, Father, you would lead us and guide us to understand your word and, Father, to apply it into our lives so that when we go out, Father, we might be different than when we came in. Father, that we might be more godly, more holy. And, Father, indeed, that we might make much of you to all of those who are around us who need to know your Savior. Father, We pray now that you would lead us and guide us in this time. Lord, that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see within this passage that the pastoral priorities for God's good minister is to be found in their direction, devotion, and diligence. The pastoral priorities for God's good minister is to be found in their direction, their devotion, and their diligence. They are to be diligent in serving God in all areas. They are to be devoted to God and to Him alone. They are to be directed in what? In God's word, we see first in verse six, the devotion or direction of God's good servants in verses one through five. Paul has already warned Timothy of the dangers that are found for the church in demonic doctrines and hellish heresies. He says, listen, don't don't give yourself to any of these demonic doctrines that are being propagated within the church. He is warned that there are some that have made Christianity into a religion of rigorous works. A religion of rigorous works to please God so that you might be accepted by God. 
They have even at times turned people away from the things that God has blessed and said were good. They told the people, abstain from certain foods, abstain from marriage. Yet both of those things are things that God has said is good. And listen, if somebody is telling us to abstain from what God has said is right, then it's not going to be long until they might tell us to start doing what God has said is wrong. There's a connection there. And we need to understand that Christianity is not a religion of rigorous works. Instead, it is a right relationship that God gives graciously to us that draws us to consecrate our lives by the word of God and by prayer. Paul's call is for Timothy to be a good servant of God by directing his attention and his hearers' attention to the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation, not just to earthly works. Don't, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister, you want to be a good servant of God, listen, you must direct your attention not to the earthly things of this world, but to the eternal things of God. Indeed, Timothy, you need to be able to point out the false teachers and their flawed teachings. Timothy, you will be a good minister if you are pointing out these things to the brothers. If you are able to discern what is true and what is false according to the word of God, you will be a great benefit and a great blessing to the church. Give them the gospel, Timothy, and the whole counsel of God's word, not just helpful hints and positive platitudes on Sunday morning. And yet, if you turn on your TV... What do we tend to find on our evangelical channels? Helpful hints and positive platitudes. How to have your best life now. How to live with more joy and more hope. All of those things are good, but all of those things flow from the gospel. You can't help yourself to have these things. You must run to Christ and he will give you these things. And that's a different atmosphere. That's a different aspect. Indeed, we understand in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and also in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 4, Paul is warning of false teachings and false doctrines that are being provided by false teachers. He warns that they must be silenced. They must be put away. This is why I go to great efforts to warn you of the dangers of sellers of self-help psychology, such as Robert Schuller and those who would follow in his footsteps even unto one named Joel Osteen. This is why I go to a great deal of pain and perplexity to explain to you why these prophets for profit that you see on TV are not true and faithful to God's word. Why you don't need to give or even give ear to Robert Tilton, Benny Hinn, Peter Popoff, Mike Murdoch, or Rod Parsley. These guys are nothing more than charlatans. They're taking your money and they're enjoying your money, promising you that somehow they're going to give you back a blessing. God's going to give you a blessing. If you send me seven, God will send you 70. Did you talk with God about that? Well, if you just become a Christian and you live in the gospel, you will know nothing but prosperity, health, wealth, and prosperity, right? 
No. You can't preach the whole counsel of God's word and go down that line. Why? Because what are you going to do when Jesus tells his children, his disciples, you're going to suffer? You can't make that read any other way. Indeed, this is why I am so uh, fervent in pointing out to you the emerging, emerging evangelical church movement leaders that seem to increasingly be embracing universalism, those such as Brian McLaren and Rob Bell. Don't give ear to these men. Don't even listen to what they have to say. Why? Because they are peddlers of perversity that contradict the word of God. If you have the word of God and these men stacked against one another, every time choose the word of God. Listen, if you ever have the word of God stacked against what I have said in the pulpit, you go with the word of God and not with what I have said. Is that clear enough? That's what we are to be. Timothy. You are to be a good servant of Jesus. You are to refute the faults and flawed teachings found in the church. But how are you going to do this, Timothy? He is to do this by directing himself and his ears continually to the nourishment of God's word and the sound doctrine that flows from it. As Timothy devotes himself to the study of God's word, his beliefs are going to inform his behavior. And that behavior is then going to set the example for those within the church and the community. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. What does Paul tell Timothy to put a priority on in his teaching? Says young Timothy, preach the word. Well, pastor, I want to hear more stories about you. I can't preach the word and tell you stories about myself all the time. I want to hear stories about your baby boy. I'd love to tell you stories about your baby, my baby boy. And I tell you what, you can come see me in my office anytime, day or night. But I can't talk about myself or my family and talk about God's Savior at the same time. And it's far more important for us to focus on God and His Savior and not ourselves. Timothy preached the Word. Why should he preach the Word? Well, he should preach the Word because in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For what? So that the man of God may be what? Adequate. Equipped for every good work. See, the word of God is what we preach because that is what God has spoken. That is what he has revealed. That is what he has given for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And he has given it so that you and I, if our direction is set by the word of God, might what? Might be adequate and equipped for every good work. Why do you go through the scriptures like you do, Pastor? Because I want you to be adequately equipped for every good work that God has. Indeed, Timothy's direction and our direction is to come from the word of God to show us how to be good servants of Christ. We are to study. We are to meditate. We are to master God's word in every way. And then when we have done that, we will hear from God those words that Paul gave to young Timothy in chapter 2, verse 15 of Second Timothy, when he said, be diligent to present yourself to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
We need to be diligent. We need to be devoted. We need to be consistent in our proclamation that our direction is set by the word of God, not by anything or anyone else. If you don't follow Jesus, young Timothy, then you can't lead others. That's what Paul's saying. Timothy, if you haven't learned from God's word, then you can't teach others. Listen, Timothy, if there is no personal investigation and no personal application of God's word, there is no ground for your public proclamation. No ground for public proclamation. See, the word of God reveals to him the beliefs that are appropriate. It nourishes him. It builds him up. It edifies him. And it edifies us. And so we spend our time in the word of God that nourishes us and gives us sound doctrine so that we might increasingly be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ our Lord so that we might be good servants of our Savior. The direction for God's good servants is founded and grounded in God's gracious revelation of His Word that nourishes us in sound doctrine. Secondly, this morning, the devotion of God's good servants. The direction of God's good servants is set by the Word of God. The devotion of God's good servants is what? To Christ and to nothing else. In verse 7, Paul contrasts the one that is directed by God's word to be Christ-like with the one that is influenced by the tales of old women. That's what he says here. He says, listen, Timothy, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, put aside the gossip gal's theology. Don't listen to them. Those old wives' tales, don't listen to them. Perhaps these old wives' tales are founded upon the doctrines of myths and the the strange doctrines, myths and endless genealogies of chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. But Paul commands Timothy to have nothing to do with these demonic doctrines that are nothing more than worldly fables. He is to reject them. He is to put them away. He's to have nothing to do. Why? Because they are contrary to the very doctrines of God's revealed Word in Holy Scripture. Pastor, we don't do anything like that, do we? We don't have strange wives' tales, old women's tales, do we? Do we have that in our churches today? Of course we do. I'm going to give you three examples of the most common ones that I have heard since I've been at Adamsville Baptist Church as the pastor. The most common, three most common wives' tales, old women's fables that are false and flawed in view of Scripture that I've heard since I've been at Adamsville Baptist Church. Number one, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Well, God helps those that help themselves. Go show it to me in the Bible. Go ahead and open up. You're going to look in first and second confusions. First, second, and third misconceptions? I mean, where, where are you going to look? The hypocrypha? Notice hypocrypha, not apocrypha. Some of you will get that later. Where are you going to look? That's not what the Bible says. Secondly, you need to clean yourself up and then come to church. Well, you know, it, 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 he just needs to clean his act up and then he needs to come to church as if that will do anything for him. 
Well, they were a good person. They lived a good life. I, I'm sure God will let him into the, his heaven. All three of these people are contrary to God's word. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who are helpless in and of themselves. God helps those who cast themselves unreservedly on his mercy and his grace. God God cleans up those who come to him and repent of their sin and trust by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you tell a sinner to clean themselves up and bring them to church, where did Christ save them from? Nowhere. And where and who cleans a sinner up and makes them a saint? Christ and Christ alone. You can't do it and I can't do it. And surely a sinner who doesn't even know Christ Jesus as Lord, surely they can't clean themselves up. Listen, there's no one so good that he need not be saved and no one so bad that he cannot be saved. There is a Savior who is offered to each. To come and to follow him. Indeed, sinners saved by great good people don't finally, good people don't go to heaven. Being a good person will somehow get you into heaven. Good, well, he was a good man. He was a good boy. He lived a good life. Listen, I don't care. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. And how are you saved? You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by the work and the person and the blood of Jesus Christ that was sacrificed 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. You're not saved by what you can do in order to gain heaven or what you have not done that is so bad, that is nearly as bad as Betty, Bill, and Bubba. But listen, we are saved by trusting only in Jesus Christ. God's servants don't preach psychological platitudes. They indeed preach God's word above all else. And they preach the truth of the gospel. Well, pastor, you don't make me feel good. Well, I understand that. That's because not all of God's word was intended to make you feel good. Indeed, part of God's word is intended to point out to you that in and of yourself, you are not good, but that he, through his power and his grace, can make you new. We come, we understand that our devotion is to be God, to God and to his words. But finally this morning, the diligence of God's good servants. We see the diligence of God's good servants. Paul closes this section by showing that the direction and devotion of God's good servant is demonstrated by diligence in godliness. Indeed, there is no effective spiritual ministry apart from personal godliness. And there can be no personal godliness without God's presence in our lives through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And there is no presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives without a turning from our sin and a turning to God's Savior. So there is no effective spiritual ministry apart from personal godliness. And there is no personal godliness apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not in a person's life apart from salvation that has come through Jesus Christ and his work. Oswald Sanders writes it this way. Spiritual ends can be achieved only by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. 
Spiritual lens can only be achieved by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. See, the good servant of Jesus Christ reflects the glory of the gospel, the glory of God to the church and to the community at large. And he does so through having a life of diligent godliness, of discipline, of increasing holiness and conformity in the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. See, Paul is imploring Timothy here to discipline himself, but he's not encouraging him to discipline himself only for this physical world, only for this earthly realm. He says, listen, there is a realm of both this which will benefit and bless both in this world and in the world which is yet to come. Don't just discipline yourself physically. Discipline yourself spiritually. Well, how is this to be accomplished? Well, it is accomplished when the Holy Spirit provides the fruit of self-discipline, which is talked about there in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. When you are saved, you receive the what? Holy Spirit. He comes to live within you. If the Holy Spirit is living within me, He has brought to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit has as one of its characteristics, what? Self-discipline. And when it says walk in the Spirit, you are to be walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, one of which is self-discipline. And so we direct ourselves through the capacity uh, that the Holy Spirit has given us at conversion to be nourished by God's Word and by sound doctrine. We reject the worldly fables and devote ourselves to God's good and gracious teaching. And as we increasingly receive God's Word through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might prove by doing, working out what the will of God is is that which is perfect and pure, good and acceptable. Romans chapter 12 tells us what kind of people we ought to be in the midst of our culture. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because you have been saved. What he's saying is all of what I've taught up to chapter 11, the end of chapter 11 in Romans, all of these things come to bear upon the life that is supposed to be lived by the Christian. And he says, therefore, because of all the things that I have said, the fact that God saves, sanctifies, and fills with his spirit the people who are redeemed i urge you by the mercies of god to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to god which is your spiritual service of worship what's your spiritual service of worship to present your minds on sunday morning for a few minutes open up the bible once or twice a day Sing a song every now and then. Your spiritual service of worship is to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That's not Sunday morning. That's not Sunday evening. That's not Wednesday night. That's 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Let me ask you, how are you doing in that? How are you doing? See, it says in verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How will the world know that you're a Christian? 
only if you are surrendered and living fully for Christ as your sovereign Lord. The word discipline comes in this passage in uh, verse 8 or verse 7. As the Greek word gymnazo, that means to train or to exercise. This is a rigorous, strenuous, and self-sacrificing training that athletes would endure to prepare themselves for physical competitions. Now understand, this is a little bit different than I thought it was when I was in 10th grade and I went out for the soccer team. See, in 10th grade, and I, when I went out for the soccer team, I thought I could go down you know, the street and buy some soccer cleats. And some umbros, you remember umbros, right? Some of you do. Younger people, you probably don't. Buy some umbros and a soccer shirt that looked like Maradona's soccer shirt that I'd seen in the World Cup. And I thought just putting those clothes on would make me a soccer player. Until I fell on my face about 50 times the first day. Always tripping and falling over that ball that I couldn't touch with my hands. I had to kick with my feet. What in the world's the purpose of that? Who knows? I don't even know why I went down there. Oh, because putting on the clothes is not, putting on the clothes is not what makes you a soccer player. Putting on the facade of a Christian is not what makes you a Christian. Only giving your heart all to God. That is what makes you a Christian. Paul utilizes this picture to bring home the importance of Timothy, not merely training the outer man, but rather he was to train the inner man for godliness. He's to be training himself in reverence, in piety, in true spiritual virtue, in prayer and meditation upon the word, in application of the word into life. He wants to make sure the focus of the minister and the focus of the ministry of the gospel was not on the external self, but on the eternal soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? See, you might discipline yourself to be great with money and never gain salvation. And the money's going to die when you die. But if you will discipline yourself to be what? Godly. If you will receive Christ as your Savior and yield yourself to Him and increasingly be conformed to His image, then listen, the blessings and benefits don't just die here in this world, but you are actually storing up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. See, in our day, there's a great disparity between our focus on the earthly instead of the eternal. We spend hours focusing on the earthly stuff and a few minutes on the eternal. We consume our day with physical training that will profit us only temporarily while ignoring the Bible, prayer, and meditation that would bring timeless benefits and blessings. We spend hours on Facebook and yet just a few minutes in the faith book. We spend hours and hours texting our friends and mere minutes testing our faith. We spend hours consumed with email, but rarely do we have enough time to spend with God in email. Now I challenge you, look at this week. What have you spent the majority of your time on? 
stuff of this world or the spiritual aspects of your life? See, we are consumed, consumed with the stuff of this world. We are practicing in our Christian lives that sign that was being held up so effortlessly there at the corner of Spence and Royal when it says no commitment required. We've got a woeful lack of commitment through the entire church. Not just our church, the American church, the church of the 21st century. But let me point out to you, we do have a woeful lack of commitment within our church as well. We look for people to fill uh, different different, uh, committee positions. We constantly are searching to try to scrape together enough men to fill the deacon board year after year. We are constantly looking for people who would be qualified to teach We are constantly looking for people who would desire to come work with children on Wednesday nights and Awana and other ministries. We are constantly scraping and looking. Why? Because there is a lack of commitment. Because we have bought into the idea that filling the pews is somehow all we're responsible for. No, the good servant of God, the good servant of God, It's going to be submitted to God and surrendered to him to do everything that he wants them to do so that they indeed might prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect in the midst of their life. We have Christians living as if there was no commitment required and then all the time wondering why in the world don't I have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen, we must heed the words of the words of the apostle, apostle Paul to be good servants means that we are to train ourselves in godliness. Notice he doesn't say, Timothy, you need to go have somebody else train you in godliness. You need to train yourself in godliness. That goes for me and that goes for you. See, I come and I edify you and I preach to you and I explain the words of God. But listen, if you never think about it again until next Sunday morning, what profit was it for you to be here today? We need to day by day, each of us, dedicate and devote ourselves to being trained in godliness. We train ourselves in godliness through prayer, through meditation on the word, through fellowship with our fellow Christians and worship services such as we are at this morning by being faithful and hearing the word of God preached. But let me tell you this morning, if you are sitting here and you say, well, you know, pastor, I've been a, I haven't been a Christian before. I've come in this morning and I, I'm interested about being a servant of God. I want to know, pastor, how can I be a servant of God? Let Let me explain how you can be a servant of God. You need to understand that God has created you for a perfect, pure relationship with himself. But there's a problem, and the problem is called sin, because you and I have rejected and reviled God at every turn. We have lied, we have stolen, we have cheated, we have uh, have hated, we have committed uh, adultery, we have done all sorts of evil and transgressed God's law. But the reality is in the midst of our helplessness and hopelessness because we are sinners by nature and by choice, God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and pure life that you and I can never live, to die an atoning death on the cross of Calvary and then to rise again in glorious victory over sin, death, and hell. 
And this morning, if you're willing to repent of your sin and place your faith unreservedly in the person and work of Jesus Christ, this morning you can have assurance that you have become a servant of God. From that point forward, you begin growing and walking, studying the Word, praying, asking God, to reveal to you how you can increasingly be conformed to, conformed to the image of His glorious Son. How you can purpose for yourself to be disciplined in godliness. For those of you who are believers this morning, you need to ask, what is my purpose this week? Is my purpose to get more stuff or to be more godly? And if the answer is to get more stuff, I encourage you to come and Just pray at the altar and say, God, I confess. I've made stuff, my Lord, and not your Savior. This morning I'm turning over all these things, laying them down so that you might pick up my life and live through me. If you have a decision this morning, don't wait. Step out and come forward at this time. As we sing together, wherever he leads, I'll go. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. And we thank you for the ministry.